best investor is the investor that doesn't lose money. I'm making obviously a, a theoretical statement like, you know, there's no investor that never loses money. But conceptually, if you never lost, if you knew a way to never lose money, you could invest on coin flips or on securities you know nothing about because your risk management is so good. You're listening to IBKR Podcasts. Find more conversations at ibkrpodcasts.com. Please remember any trading discussions are for information purposes only and are not intended to portray recommendations. Please listen to further disclosures at the end of today's episode. Now, welcome to our show. Hi, everyone. Welcome to IBKR Podcast. I'm your host, Jeff Praisman, and it's my pleasure to welcome Giuseppe Set, one of the co-founders and president of Tago AI. Giuseppe graduated with an MS in Electrical Engineering from La Sapienza University and an MBA from Wharton as well as holding a patent in acoustic propulsion via ultrasound. Welcome, Giuseppe. Uh, thank you for joining us. Well, thank you for having me. It's always a pleasure to be speaking with ABCare folks. Um, prior to co-founding Tago AI with Jan um, Salagi, who we've been fortunate enough to have in the studio a few times, both of you were co-CEOs of, um, Glo of Global Macro at Lombard ODA. And you also spent some time at Brevin Howard, Davidson Kempner, and at Bain Italy. So today, we're going to discuss using options to improve investment outcome. So Giuseppe, let's start with some of the benefits of trading options. Absolutely. Options are a main staple for, for professional investors, and they're also very popular retail traders. We, in my career, I've traded options for like uh, a good part of almost two decades, and I find, them, I find them useful. I find them even mentally stimulating, but you need to know what they're for, what they do for you. Options are effectively, in the simplest terms, a way to outsource your risk management. Let's start from the simplest basics. Imagine a classic call option on your favorite stock, Tesla, since that's most likely to be the, someone's favorite stock. As you, as you guys know, Tesla options are, re represent almost half at one point, represented almost half of all volumes of options in the US. You buy a call option on Tesla, and what you're saying is, I don't want to worry about the downside. Can someone manage this for me? And the market is there for you. And they say, sure, we'll do that. No problem. Here's the price. The key thing about the key thing that options do for you is that uh, they help you avoid some of the classic fallacy of, fallacies of investing. It's very, very easy for both if you want uh, non-professional traders, but also for retail traders to fall into classic fallacies of risk management. The market is an emotional affair. When you're losing money, it's, uh, it's a skill to keep your head straight. And options, in a sense, allow you to do that with much more calm because you've paid your price for insurance. You know what you're going to lose. When the market is imploding, you're thinking, okay, well, you know what? I almost got away scot-free because I just paid my premium and that's the most I can lose. And that puts you in a better spot than having bought your Tesla share outright and seeing it tank, uh, you know, 20% in a week, which Tesla can easily do. And by no means, this is only applied to Tesla, but it's a good example because it's popular. So getting back to where I started, the options are fantastic because they're a way to go and offset your risk management tasks to someone else. It works well if you're, if you're a day trader because day traders can have, uh, well, two main issues. One is the market can be extremely volatile intraday leaving you sometimes shell-shocked, especially in days when there is risk flow, uh, news flow. 
And two, sometimes you cannot be on the market continuously. But options, they're always fantastic. They're also fantastic for swing traders. You have your view, your directional hypothesis, or your volatility hypothesis. You set it on with your option structure, and then you just wait and let your swing play one way or another. Obviously, like the good aspects of options don't stop here. The, the other fantastic thing that options let you do is compose them. You can really tailor your view of the market and your view of risk in such a way as to be precisely, almost surgically, where you want to be. So this is all that's fantastic about options, but we need to make a disclaimer. It's not even like, you know, the, the, the other side of the coin. It's just like, you know, we need to dispel a myth. There's no alpha per se in options and for a good reason. So what do we in the industry, what do we mean when we say alpha? We mean uh, intrinsic uh, returns that you can recurrently extract from the market. Alpha starts from like some financial mathematics that I'm not going to get into, but effectively it tells you your extra return on the market, meaning everybody can get the return on the market, just buy the market. But if you can do better than the market in financial mathematics is called alpha. And nowadays you'll hear it used as uh, the return you can generate without being bound to the market and to other risk factors. So you'll hear me use that, that term through this, uh, through this conversation, but uh, in this specific case, what I meant when I said that there is no alpha in options, I meant that there is no way to consistently and simply do something with options, let's say buy a call spread, buy a put spread, and we'll get into what these terms mean, and, and just make money. And the reason for this lack of alpha, which means of stable, exploitable returns, is that these options are priced by extremely bright and very motivated quants in all the top banks and all the market makers. They know exactly what they're doing. They've been backtesting these options for the, la for the good part of the last 40 years when options became popular. And uh, I can tell you that you, anybody here on this call, on this podcast, listening to this podcast, sorry, can go online, go on the site of CBOE, buy the option time series of any stock that you like, try to backtest them in whichever way possible, you will find that consistently, no matter what the level of volatility, what your strike is, options are fairly priced. You need to have a view to make money with options. But having said that, they are fantastic. Now, of course, with you know all investing, there's you know risk and rewards, and you definitely you know covered some of the rewards, and it, it seems mostly speaking about being long premium in those options as well, where the risk is only your premium that you paid for the options. Obviously, a whole other risk if you're selling premium, where if your view is wrong, there could be very high losses or somewhat unlimited losses if you sell a call, for example. But you know, besides for, I don't know if fairly prices is, would be your downside, but what are some of the other risks or downsides to trading options? It's a, it's a good question. Let me start from like from where you correctly prompted me to to can I say elaborate. So far, we've talked about the fact that if you buy options, you know your downside. Easy peasy. A call costs you three dollars. That's three hundred dollars you can pay the most. I'm saying three hundred because, as most on the podcast will know, usually there is a multiplier around the option. Usually a hundred dollars. So if you see a screen price of three, it means that you have to shell out three hundred to to buy the option. In reality, you can do some very fancy mathematics or if you want geometric uh, drawings uh, with options. You can buy a call, add the money, and add the money means that uh, the you can make money from where the stock is today 
and I say stock, it could be oil, it could be a S&P 500 index, whatever. Options are available on almost anything. And then you could sell option two calls on this in the same position out of the money. Now let me reiterate what I what I'm what I'm saying. You're taking you're taking a position that makes you money right away. From here, if the stock goes up, you profit aside from the premium you paid. But then you say, but my God, this premium is so expensive. I want to cheapen it out. A still very safe thing you could do is to say, well, you know what? I don't need to make money beyond 5% profit. So you can sell the rest of the profit. From here to 5%, you make money. Beyond 5%, you don't make money anymore. All of a sudden, you have deployed much less risk, much less premium, and uh, your risk return is very clear to you. Let's say you pay, you probably, in, if it's at the money, you're probably like paying one and getting a risk return or less, uh, getting a profit of maximum less than one by the way calls are structured. But you can do more. To your point, you can start to say, what if I sell more than one call? What if I accept to lose money beyond, let's say, 10%? All of a sudden, you find yourself back in the position of having both long or so short a security. And why is that important to understand? It's important to understand because the risks in those cases end up becoming not necessarily infinite, but extremely uncontrolled that brings you back to where you started if you want to take that kind of risk you can very simply take uh, take the stock outright and watch it because you don't have a completely outsourced risk management anymore it's an interesting it's an interesting way to play i'll, I'll talk about it later about uh, some of the options that people uh, option structures that people like to play and that sometimes uh, blow up in the face even of professional investors but before we go there there's a second risk that we need to talk about delivery an option read the as, as they say read the fine print an option is a contract a contract to deliver to you a certain whatever at a certain price so we call it underlying because it's a call it's a contract and underline the contract as a security if i have a, a tesla option to buy tesla at uh, let's say a thousand dollars it means that on expiry i have the right to buy tesla thousand dollars the counterparty has the obligation if i exercise that that right to actually sell it to me at that price now what happens to what happens to some traders and this has been sadly in the news in the boom days of gme 2020 when there was like this great inflow of young traders in the market that still needed some guidance and some, if you want, like education about markets. So this has been the source of some serious losses and in one case, even suicide because of this. One trader in particular traded a call spread. Call spread is what we discussed just a moment ago. It's a structure made of one long call and one short out of the money call. Imagine in the case I was making, you say, I'm going to buy the upside of Tesla from zero to 5% up, and then I'm, I don't need the rest. When you do that, you are convinced that your maximum loss is the price of the call spread. You are right and you are wrong. You are right because up to the moment of expiry, there's no more that you can lose. If Tesla collapses to zero, whatever you paid for the call spread is what you paid. However, the day when or when the spread settles, there is a small but non-zero risk that Tesla expires squarely in the middle of that call spread between the zero and five percent profit. I'd say two and a half percent to make it simple. Then something technical and somewhat nasty happens. You get delivered 
whatever you were whatever uh, amount of stocks was in your uh, bet and this can get tricky because a, a five percent call spread especially on tesla it's very cheap you could have spent like i don't know a couple of grants to make your bet you don't realize that that's probably like a three hundred thousand dollars position in notional that gets delivered to you at expiry now imagine this at that moment you have the flip of a coin because you get delivered it's friday it is closed see you monday monday tesla could open up three percent or down three percent and you have a gigantic position what's the lesson of this the lesson is to always close your your options before expiry because you especially in stocks in stock space you should never take delivery if unless you know exactly what you're doing so i think that like uh, these, boy, these two examples we've talked about boil down to not understanding your risk. Options are fantastic to contain risk, but to do they're double-edged in this sense because if you don't understand how they're containing risk, you might be on the wrong side of the trade. Right, and a lot and a lot of people may not understand. You know, they should understand the multiplier effect with the you know the standard hundred shares of stock for. But if they don't, you know, that situation can happen. Uh, you know, you have a, a ton of investment experience besides for obviously the your philosophy on handling option spreads. Could you also share with our, our listeners your philosophy on investing? Like specifically, you know, we discussed alpha a little bit earlier, just kind of the definition you were, but also like the structuring and, and then, you know, reloading basically there to kind of fight another day for lack of a better word. Yeah. No, it's an excellent way to say it. I think that these are the three sides of the same triangle. So we're going to talk about alpha, which is how to make money in a stable fashion, whatever the market does. Then we're going to talk about structuring, which has been the core of what we discussed, and then reloading. Alpha is effectively the product of your investing style, and there are many investing styles. Most people, if they're listening to a podcast about option, might be familiar maybe with Warren Buffett and his uh, value approach. I mean, I don't think Warren Buffett has been value for like a few decades. He's been more of a growth at the right price kind of guy. But in any case, he has his price sensitive. There are people that like me and the, like the grandees of the space that we worked in, like George Soros, Tudor Jones, of course, Stanley Drucken Miller, who is a, an investor in Toggle. We've, the, the, we trade global macro, which means that we take uh, views on the large benchmark indexes and gauge where they might go based on where the economy is going. There are probably the largest cohort of investors, which is the equity fundamental investors. They look at securities, they make a call on whether the, let me say, the earnings for simplicity are going to go up or down, and whether the stock is going to actually reappreciate thanks to that move. Up or down, by the way, eh? like you can be a short seller and be fundamental. Then there are like uh, the few on the technical investors of yesterday, which have all been effectively subsumed in today's world for the professional side into the quants. And quant people, are like people in the renaissance technologies the hedge funds but also in the market makers they are the people that look at market for recurrences i'm gonna say something silly but you might be discovering that like you know every third day of the month if the market uh, if the moon is full something happens to the market i'm 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 being facetious but only up to a point believe me like quants will try and test anything and if they find the regularity, they don't need a story behind it because they, 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 they trust their statistics. They are a power force in the market. At this point, between market makers and quants, they, 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 they make up the large and vast majority of trades in the market. And their alpha 
is based on their statistics. So we're circling around the fact that uh, to make money, to use options or not use options, you need a view. Some people might be getting their views from articles in the press. Some people might be getting their views because they think that some products are just too good for their companies uh, to not do great in the next 10 years. Alpha is, uh, is, uh, is a concept that's based on your views, your style, and also your, your investing horizon. There can be alpha trading uh, on a swing basis in the next 10 days or next two months. There can be alpha in trading, uh, but it would be called investing for the next 10 years. Uh, if you had seen Tesla do what it, uh, it could do 10 years ago, you would have been a fantastic investor. Some people have done that and they've been rewarded. Now, if you have a view, you need to be able to see it through whatever is your horizon. And so we're going to move to structuring. Structuring is a way to say that I need to package my a risk management policy around my trade. So let's start simple. Let's abandon Tesla for a second just to move like into global macrospace. I'm gonna, I believe that treasuries are a fantastic buy because the Fed has probably like, it's gonna give us a one and done kind of rate hike. So the, 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 um, uh, the Fed cycle is probably done for this cycle. Excuse me, the, the hiking cycle is probably done this time. And so I wanna buy treasuries, good for me. Buying treasuries, even though they're a safe asset, still something that carries risk, especially if you take the long maturities, 10 years, 20 years. So you need to be ready and aware that like, uh, even though you're right in your horizon, in one year time, maybe you might be wrong the next month and nobody has infinite risk tolerance. You might be putting this trade on and you're saying, I don't want to lose more than 2% of my portfolio, 10% of my portfolio, whatever it is, nobody has infinite risk budget. So structuring means uh, how do you want to deal with the fact that you might be wrong in the short term, even though you're right in the long term, or that you might be wrong, period. All professional investors have had like no one, many trades where they just got it wrong. You need to cut at some point. How are you going to cut? There's, I mean, there's a million ways to like uh, go around it, uh, but effectively either you cut, either, either you decide to cut your position gradually or all, all of a sudden, or you find some options that do that for you and you pay the price up front. And this brings us to the last point, which is reloading. Reloading is uh, simply the fact that uh, the best investor is the investor that doesn't lose money. I'm making obviously a, a theoretical statement, like, you know, there's no investor that never loses money, but conceptually, if you never lost, if you knew a way to never lose money, you could invest on coin flips or on securities you know nothing about because your risk management is so good. What is the, what is the goal of like a proper, risk budgeting and reloading for an investor with a view. You might be wrong for the next month, but very right in the next three years. You don't want to be completely out of the trade, out of the market, cut off in your portfolio if, you, if you're wrong today. In many, many professional environments, especially in the very popular multifamily, excuse me, multifamily, multi-strategy funds that are extremely successful these days, I'm gonna say millennium to mention one out of many, Risk managers are very much on the shoulder of portfolio managers and they impose very tight risk constraints. Pretty much every, each of these shops works with, with a strike one, strike two, strike two, and then out approach. You have given a maximum loss in your portfolio, let's call it 10%. So you're out three, per, you're down three and a half percent, orange, like yellow alert. You're down six and a half percent, orange alert, you're down 10%, that's the door. It's very, very, very tight. And so you need to be aware that like uh, your views are probably not unfounded. You've done a lot of research and whatever else. Now, 
if you don't want to get a red card, a red alert, and a boot out of the door, be booted out of the door, you need to be aware that uh, you can put all your capital at risk today. Where Where is the lesson for a non-professional trader there? We're all facing the same issue. We all want to trade the market because we find it intriguing, fun, and we like the opportunity to profit from our views. But oftentimes, uh, risk allocation is something that uh, the retail space uh, focuses less on. And the press is full of examples. Just go on. Let me say, let me say that the classic place for seeing the the the, the worst loss in the industry. Go on Reddit and Wall Street bets, and you'll see people flaunting the amount of losses that that they've uh, that they've managed to achieve. And that's a classic case of uh, reloading on the wrong trade in the wrong amount. So you see the triangle. You need to have a view. You need to structure it in such a way that you can stay in the trade for the long term. And uh, I'll close it with where what I mentioned about being wrong uh, in some cases. You also, your ability to reload and to structure needs to take into account that you have a limit. You will find the moment where you want to just get out. Please. Yeah, I was going to say, so it really sounds like whether or not you're managing, you know, a $100 million fund or a $5,000 personal account, it really makes sense for every investor to kind of know the max loss that they're, they're willing to take on, a, on their view. First of all, come in with a view you know, an educated view of where they think a market or markets are particularly going, come up with a basically a game plan of what in, uh, instruments can help them achieve that. And then also know their exit strategy as far as when, if things aren't going as planned, what, where they should get out so that they can go on to continue investing and continue trading and, and continue to basically live another day for lack of a, again, better word. Live another day, <laughs> definitely. Again, just to reinstate, like you've been doing this a long time immense industry experience. Could, could you share with our listeners an example, uh, you know, from your time in the industry of, you know, one of the better option trades you that you had or were part of and sort of just a little bit of a context around it as well. So they can kind of, kind of just briefly, just a little bit of context around the trade as well, just so they can see kind of the full story behind it. Yeah, yeah absolutely. Absolutely. I think that uh, one of the best trades that we've, uh, we've had in uh, Global macro trade within the scope of global macro trading mandates was definitely on on treasuries, and it's it's a timely thing to mention because we've been through a moment of massive sell-off. We spent basically spent two years seeing uh, uh, treasuries selling off hard. The press is full of like uh, stories about this, but in reality, this that was that we've seen in the last two years, this hiking cycle, had a false start. Um, at this point, uh, four or five years ago. In 2016, we started to talk about, okay, well, this is mid-cycle, the Fed needs to start hiking, and we need to start to, like, you know, looking at treasuries with a bit of care. There was a small hiking cycle or a small sell-off in 10-year treasuries that effectively took them over from 2016, mid-2016 to almost 2019. And this, we knew that something would be coming. The Fed was making the right noises. The economy was making the right noises. Like, I mean, you can see that sometimes things are working well. But shorting treasuries is, is a beast because treasuries have so much carry against you. You want to, for the long term, you want to be long treasuries. They're a beautiful part of your portfolio that they like, they're the pillar of risk parity and, and they should be in your, you know, long term allocation plans. But for a trader, with a mandate to study the Fed and understand when they start to sell off, they pose a challenge. It's really technical to short. So what we did that worked really well was 
to use the skew that you get in the option space for treasuries. And here I'm going to get technical, so let me try to lay it down as simple as possible. The price of options changes depending on how far from, uh, from the um, uh, current price of the security they are. In treasuries, the cheapest option you can get is the, the, um, the option that you can buy where the treasury bond or future in specifics is right now. As you move away from like, if you want to buy treasury options of like, you know, that give you profit after like a 3% move up or down doesn't matter, but mostly on the upside, then they become, then they become uh, reasonably more expensive because there are like uh, fat tails, especially for treasuries to going up. Now, the fascinating aspect of this is that uh, you could do the following. Treasuries naturally go up when the market goes down. So the fat tail is on the upside of treasuries. That means that for treasuries to fall down, it's considered a case that's somewhat cheaper. The market doesn't really believe it. You know why the market doesn't believe it? Because for 40 years, they've been going up. That offered us effectively a value opportunity at the time. The market was still pricing, and to a degree, even, even now after this big sell-off, is still pricing the ups the downside of treasuries with much less weight than the upside. Because the moment where, the, where everybody gets scared by the market, the market when the equities fall, everybody buys treasuries, their fat tail is on the upside. That means that we, were, that we could do some really smart structuring. To give you an example, we could buy three times, three options, for three put options for treasuries to fall 3% by selling just one put option for treasuries to raise 3%. That gave us an immense staying power. And that was important because we didn't know when treasuries could move. Eventually they moved. They made the big move between 16 and 17. It was a very sharp move, which is great for these options. It went well past our expectation of move. And our leverage was fantastic. Yeah, sure, we had some downside. Again, you need to understand there is always downside. But we were like managing that downside day on a day-in, day-out basis. But our risk return was three times the upside, three times the profit if treasuries sold off versus one time the loss. And if treasuries didn't move much, they just had carry, we had zero impact on our positions. It was a very smart and articulated trade. Now, this is obviously something that was requiring a team of managers to look at it every day, and it required a lot of, a lot of um, how can I say, instruction and study. But there is a lesson also for an individual trader who probably, like, you know, has a job as whatever profession he or she has. And the, the lesson is the following. If you like options and you're engaged in them and you spend your time before placing your trade to study, the vault surface, as we call it, which is like just a matrix that you see in MBKR when you load up your option chain, is what Trader Workstation calls it, you will find that there are opportunities. And if you leverage these opportunities, they will make your life easier. You know, kind of the touch on what we spoke about reloading, I got to ask you about a trade that maybe didn't go as expected and, and you know, kind of on that theme of reloading as well. <laughs> there is a structure that is... Uh, it's a bad structure for, for any manager, like for traders and whatever else. It's, it's a nasty thing. Let me try to describe it graphically. It's called a one by two. You buy one call or buy one put, it doesn't matter, like you can use it on the upside or the downside. You buy one call at the money. 
So you basically imagine a triangle, you start to make money up to a point. Then you sell two calls or sell two puts if you're on the downside. And therefore, like your profit is a triangle. But when the triangle is finished, let's say that you make money between zero and 10%. When the triangle touches um, the zero profit axis, that's where your losses start. So if the market goes up, uh, let's say 9%, you've done well. If the market goes up 12%, you started to lose money because your profit, the one by two, but in the one by two is only between zero and let's say 10%. Why is it a tempting strategy? Because it doesn't cost you anything if you're wrong. You buy one option at the money, you sell two options out of the money, your net outlay of insurance is zero. And that's because you decided to take a lot of losses if the market goes too much in your direction, if you are too correct. Now, it's uh, for everybody who's listening and is curious about what I'm talking about, just Google up the payout profile of a one by two. You will see what I mean. You don't lose money if you're wrong, but you're losing money if you're very right. And that is the most frustrating thing for a fund manager. Sure, it's fantastic to have a one by two when you're wrong. You say like, ha, 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 I survived and I'm unscathed. It's exactly what I was planning to do. Great, well done. The problem is that then if you're right and you start to become very right, you're, you're thinking, what am I doing? I should have been making profit because my views were correct. And, and instead, I'm actually like nursing losses. So the temptation of one by two is everybody feels it. Um, the, 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 the zero deployment of, of premium is something that's enticing for anybody. I honestly have never seen, I've never seen them work. In the, in the treasury case that I mentioned before, we also had one by twos and those did not work. We had to manage them literally like hour by hour to make sure that the risk was not coming against us. I think that in some cases we even made money, so we were not too wrong, but the stress of managing this structure makes it completely not worth the risk. Right. So if it goes past that second strike, then you, your your losses start magnifying because your your yeah. long, your long option is 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 only co you know is covered by the one short, but you have that extra short option that's going to start yeah, generating short, generating right. losses at an exponential rate for you as you get more and more right, as you said, on the stock price, but more and more wrong on the strategy you chose. I'm more and more wrong on the other side. Yes. Exactly right. <laughs> I, I want to take a step away from the professionals for a second. And just kind of concentrate more on the retail traders and investors. And you, you touched on, you know, a little bit prior in a kind of an introductory question stuff about the role options could play. But, in, you know, in your opinion, for retail investors that don't have access to entire teams of quants and PhDs and super smart people that are spending their whole day analyzing markets, what, what role should options play? you know, if any, for, for the, for retail. So I think that like, it, it depends on your trading on your horizon. And let me like, let's, let's split any individual investor. And by the way, like we all are individual investors, aside from our profession, we all have a PA portfolio that we, that we run for the part of your PA portfolio that is meant to be there for the long run. I don't think you should be engaging with options that match options that match. And that includes the that includes if you want like classic strategy like call overwriting and whatever else. That's a tactical kind of in, uh, allocation. And uh, in our long-term portfolios, we are not that active. We are risk premium takers. Why does your pension make money? 
because for 30 years you've been a receiver of risk premium. Risk premium is a, just a fancy word to say that you're holding risk and be compensated for it. And the, the, the interest of your treasuries is risk premium. The dividend of your, of your stocks and the appreciation of your stocks is risk premium. So if you're thinking about your portfolio splitting two, the long-term part, just let, let it be. It's like a tree. It's going to grow. And when the, the day comes, it will make you happy. But obviously, this is IBKR. And if anybody who's here is probably like as passionate as we are about the short-term size of, of investing, let's call it trading, but with like, let's call it trading in a positive way. Even a one-year horizon can be a trading horizon. In that sense, I think that I think that like options are almost, uh, I don't want to say mandatory because some people like are very comfortable with uh, trading uh, uh, what we would call Delta One in the industry. And what I mean is simply outright positions. Uh, be them futures or stocks or whatever, currencies, um, everybody has their own uh, niche in the market. But I think that especially for people that are making their first steps in the market and they don't feel too comfortable about the risk that they're taking and they might be panicking, options are a very neat way to take their first steps, which by the way explains their popularity. If you notice, if you notice the inflow of traders that we've seen in the market in the last, uh, let's say, let's call it four years from 19 onwards, options have been immensely popular. And I'm glad that people are using them. As long as they're careful about some of their tails, they, they become an easy way to take your risk, see how you like the markets, find your niche, find your style, make no mistake. They will not save you money if you're wrong but they will let you play another day and they will do it in a way that doesn't break your bank. Let's not forget another case in which um, something very, very complex happened to people not using options. Um, and IBKR knows what I'm talking about because some of this action was actually taking place on the platform. You guys may remember that at one point a few years back, the future oil went to zero for technical reasons. And uh, at that moment, a lot of traders that didn't really understand the technicalities of that future started to buy the future in spades. Because if the future is trading at four cents, I might buy, I don't know, whatever, like, you know, $1,000 and have an immense exposure. That future went to minus 40 at the well, at delivery was like before delivery. And that created some considerable losses for those holders of, uh, of risk. Why is that? Well, because that's uncapped risk, especially in future space. The reason why a future can go negative was very technical in that moment. We don't need to go and rehash the story. But the fact is that someone put down, let's say, $1,000 thinking that that was the most they could lose and discovered that that was not true. Options insure you for that. And therefore, it's a good premium to pay. If you're a newbie, to make sure that you can trade today and trade again tomorrow. Yeah, no, back back to the reloading theme, exactly, right? Like, exactly, it's all there. It's all there. With everything, technology has just improved so much over. I mean, you know, again, exponentially. I mean, Toggle AI is a perfect example of how technology can help you know investors and traders just sort through information makes tools more accessible, stuff that was not accessible to the everyday retail um, investor slash trader five years ago is now almost, you know, every day included with platforms. What, how the, you know, the tools available for option trading, how would you say they've evolved or changed since you first got in the industry? 
you know, what are some of the main functions of the tools that people may use? I mean, obviously, the Trader Workstation has a plethora of tools included, such as like Probability Lab, the Write Rollover tool, and so on. But just like in a general sense, like, what have you seen that's sort of really come into play over, you know, your investing career? Well, I mean, look, the, on any desk that trades options, you have option pricers and option structures. They are um, not always the most friendly of tools, but they do, but they do a decent job at like showing you what your effectively your payout profile looks like. And for those who are listening who know about like the technicalities of options, your Greeks, the Greeks are just numbers associated with options that tell us what this uh, that the, it's the DNA of an option is called the Greeks, uh, how they're going to react to the market and to other changes in the in the market scenario. Some of these tools have, uh, in a very, in a very, I think, virtuous way, started to trickle into what is available in uh, in the in the space for for traders. And I'd say, like you know, Trader Workstation, whilst it's certainly like a, a comprehensive uh, software, and therefore like you know, almost professional in its uh, in its capabilities, does an excellent job at letting you compose and study options. As someone who uses it almost every day. I find that this, the capabilities that like DWS offers are almost on par with like professional software. And uh, especially things that let you see the payout of the option, the probability profile, as you mentioned, are very, very important. I invite anybody who trades options on IDKR before they trade to go and look at that uh, specific sub-window called the payout profile. You will be surprised at the numbers you will see there. Sometimes we trade these options and we don't think about what they're doing in the tail ends of the spectrum on the upside and the downside. And poof, magnificent, uh, sorry, all of a sudden you, you see that like your gains or losses are magnified. And what you thought was like, you know, a, a $3,000 trade, maybe as a far tail of downside of $60,000. So one advice, if I was, if I were to give only one advice is use the tool that in the specific IDCAR gives you or any other broker just to be like balanced and plot out your payout profile. Look at the probabilities. You will get surprises sometimes. Then beyond that, you probably want to benefit from um, tools that can help you understand the, the market probabilities in a skewed way. Let me, ex let me, uh, let, let me explain what I mean. It's again the topic of alpha. In a skewed way, meaning like probability, excuse me, option pricers will always tell you a balanced view of probabilities. We just like take the current uh, shape of the volatility curve and tell you, well, based on the market, you tend to have like 52% on the upside, 48% on the downside. Tools like Toggle take it one step further and say, yes, but studying everything else around this stock or this commodity or whatever, looking at the fundamentals of this stock, the price performance of the stock, the, the, what the economy has done, we think that there is a skew and that maybe like the most reasonable scenario is a five to 10% appreciation. Tools like that allow you to step up your game. Why? Well, because options are fantastic to tailor your um, uh, investing. If you grow convinced that this specific stock you like has a 25% upside probability, you have a fantastic chance to put down a very reasonably small amount of money and put out a trade that gives you like four to 10 times the profit. Because you're saying, you know what? 
I believe that the announcement that's coming with the next earning release or like uh, what Toggle has told me about the trend of the market or what I read about the, about it in the Wall Street Journal makes me convinced of the upside you can structure in such a way as to make the most out of it. So options really shine if you have a view and the view is compelling because then the risk return will become fantastic. You can put down a grand and get back like 10 grands or whatever is your natural investment uh, investment space. So what I, I think that what I highlighted now is the twofold set of tools. You need the technical tools like TWS to price your options and look at what they like display what they look like. And you need the alpha resources to build a view for yourself. I say resources and not just tools. Things like, like applications like Toggle, they're tools. They let you test specific scenarios and build numerical confidence. But even just reading the earnings report of a company is going to be part of your process to build the view on that company. Once again, we're talking companies, but I want to spread this to all of the investors that are listening and that might like their, I don't know, natural gas trades or the euro dollar trades, the XY. Uh, again, we mentioned treasuries. Whatever you trade, then it's always the same conviction and structuring. Uh, I mean, Giuseppe, this, this has been a great discussion. Um, thank you so much for coming by the IPKR podcast. Uh, for more from Giuseppe and Tago, please go to our website under education to view previous webinars and podcasts, as well as keep an eye out for any upcoming live events. I also want to remind everyone that you can find all our podcasts on our website under education. Scroll down to IBKR Podcasts or on Spotify, Apple Music, Amazon Music, Podbeam, Google Podcasts, and Audible. Thank you for listening. Until next time, I'm Jeff Praisman with Interactive Brokers. Thank you very much, guys. Thanks for listening to IBKR Podcasts. As always, we have more episodes at IBKRPodcasts.com. And if you're interested in learning more about Interactive Brokers, visit IBKR.com. We offer more trading education materials such as webinars at ibkrwebinars.com, financial and economic commentary at tradersinsight.news, market-related courses at tradersacademy.online, and quant-related articles at ibkrquant.com. The analysis in this material is provided for information only and is not and should not be construed as an offer to sell or the solicitation of an offer to buy any security. To the extent that this material discusses general market activity, industry or sector trends, or other broad-based economic or political conditions, it should not be construed as research or investment advice. To the extent that it includes references to specific securities, commodities, currencies, or other instruments, those references do not constitute a recommendation by IBKR to buy, sell, or hold such investments. The material does not and is not intended to take into account the particular financial conditions, investment objectives, or requirements of individual customers. Before acting on this material, you should consider whether it is suitable for your particular circumstances and is necessary, seek professional advice. Options involve risk and are not suitable for all investors. For more information, read the characteristics and risks of standardized options, or ODD, which may be accessed through the link found in the show's notes or podcast description page. Ivy Global Investments LLC, a subsidiary of Interactive Brokers Group, Inc., the parent company of Interactive Brokers LLC, is a minority owner of Toggle AI. Day trading can be extremely risky and may not be appropriate for individuals with limited resources, investment experience, or low-risk tolerance. Please review the day trading risk disclosure statement before deciding whether day trading is appropriate for you.